Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Hello there, welcome to interview number five, Seeking Truth Wherever It Leads with Brian and Rochelle Allen of Vermont. In this interview, they share their journey of faith, including how they became discontent with the traditional evangelical doctrines they grew up believing. They also discuss how recontextualizing the Bible in its Hebrew thought world opened their minds and eyes to understand Jesus so much better. He is the Jewish Messiah sent to redeem Israel not an eternally generated second person of some metaphysical trinity. In addition, they discuss how they studied their way out of the rapture ideology popularized by the Left Behind book series. I think you'll find their story intriguing and heartfelt, but even more compelling is their intellectual humility. This husband and wife team is a true example of what it means to be a Berean in the 21st century. Here now is our conversation. Welcome to Restitutio. I'm Sean here with Brian and Rochelle Allen. And today I thought it would be good to hear their story a little bit. Who should begin? I always like to say ladies first. All right. Thanks. So Rochelle, why don't you fill us in a little bit about your own spiritual background and where you came from? All right. Well, I grew up in the church, started in Baptist churches, um, till I was probably about eight years old, and then we switched to a non-denominational church and grew up in church my whole life with pretty standard evangelical beliefs. I believed in the rapture and all that stuff, never questioned it, didn't know there was any other option to even consider. And then a couple years ago, we came across some messianic literature that just started us on a path towards completely re-understanding everything that we thought we already understood. So your, your background was evangelical. Yeah. What was the denomination? We had Baptist at first and then just a non-denominational um, okay. Calvary Chapel okay. that we were part of. Would you classify yourself at that point as somebody that was very zealous for the scriptures or were you kind of lackadaisical or was it just a cultural I matter? think I felt like I was fairly mature and I felt like I had at least a strong desire. You know, I had a conviction, certainly, that my faith was real and that I wanted to walk a godly life and that reading the Bible was important. Didn't do it as much as I should have, as probably most people are in that boat. But I certainly felt that it was as real as I was gonna get to, oh. I think. <laughs> I don't know. And, and how, how confident were you about your beliefs? Not very confident. Oh, you weren't? I felt like in myself I understood it to a point that I was comfortable with, but I was not comfortable sharing it with people. Okay, so you knew what you believed, but maybe weren't comfortable in explaining it to someone else. Yeah, I would. whenever I tried to explain it, it would feel shallow, for a lack of a better word. I didn't know what to say, and it felt silly <laughs> when I tried to explain <laughs> it to people, and I know that's terrible, but that's just kind of where I was at. So what about you, Brian? Where, where do you come from? Uh, well, I grew up in a Catholic household. Oh. So I'd say the first 13 years of my existence, of my life, I uh, went to Catholic church every Sunday, did the uh, catechism and f took first communion, confession, 
I learned learned about that. I didn't necessarily take it seriously. It's just what we did. We went to church every Sunday, and we were Catholic. So that's what I told people. Actually, I don't know if I told you this, but uh, when I was 14, my brother took me to a family camp in Lake George. So I think I was talking to Ruth about that last night. That's when I first got, air quotes, saved at family camp. And okay. uh, so that's kind of when I had my first theological shift. And uh, at that time, I knew I didn't want to be Catholic anymore. I didn't necessarily have all the reasons why I didn't want to be Catholic anymore. I just kind of, you know, associated Catholic bad and Protestantism, I guess. Good. I followed my sister to Calvary Chapel, same Calvary Chapel that Rochelle was going to. She wasn't there at the time. And uh, my parents let me go. And I ended up going to a private Christian school that was a whole bunch of denominations, Pentecostal, Fundamental Baptists, non-denominational Catholics, a um, whole bunch of different mixes, all in a uh, in a school, and so that you know I became saved and grew up in the Calvary Chapel that Rochelle did, and then yeah, like her, I got exposed to the Messianic literature, and that kind of allowed us to once again have a theological shift, a mind change, and reevaluate our faith mm-hmm. and theology. Yeah, I want to go back to this Messianic literature you were talking about. So was this a website or a book, or could you describe that a little bit? It was a, a commentary, a Messianic Jewish-based commentary that my dad came across, and we all started studying it together, and that just kind of, it's the through a ministry called FFOZ, First Roots of Zion, that we started looking into their literature, and it was just really eye-opening. It was just a perspective on the scriptures that we had never considered before, and it made everything make a lot more sense. It felt like we were looking at the scriptures in black and white, and then all of a sudden it was like looking at it through a kaleidoscope. Like everything just had so much more depth and just amazing levels of understanding that we never knew were possible, and it was exciting, reignited our desire to walk with the Lord. It just was a major major shift for us and could you give uh, maybe a specific or two of particular beliefs that you came to see differently as a result of looking at this stuff we grew up believing the jews had been replaced by the church the jews were a false religion that jesus came and did away with judaism and then established his church and that the church was anything but jewishness same same god but the church replaced Judaism. So we kind of had that mentality. We weren't serious about it. We could probably explain it better now, but we weren't serious about it. So delving into these uh, resources, we learned that Jesus was, in fact, a Jew. Obviously, he's king of the Jews. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, is that kind of same thing that the scholars started to rediscover in their you know, 19th century that just were far behind. So that's one example I could give. So what happened next in your journey? Were you still going to Calvary Chapel at this time? We were not. We had moved a few hours away north in the state, so we weren't going to that church anymore. We actually weren't going. Well, we were going to a an Assemblies of God type of church just because it was somewhere to go. My parents had started going there before us, and we went there because they were going there, and it was just a place to go to have fellowship. And then we eventually stopped going there because we didn't. it wasn't a style that we were comfortable with. Then we were kind of on our own for a while, in and out of churches in the area. And so this whole time you're researching as well at home. Yes. Yeah, we were doing home Bible studies and stuff like that, trying to at least get teaching. Even though we weren't part of a church, we were trying to stay grounded as much as we could. Well, can you, can you share with me, I, I know we've spoken before about this just yesterday, but could you share with me a little bit about the rapture and how 
you came to see that differently? Like, what was your old theology, and then how did you work through that? Okay, my old theology was <laughs> one day Jesus is going to come back with the clouds and pick up his church and carry him off to heaven, and there we were going to dine with him for about seven years during the Great Tribulation here on earth while everyone else who didn't accept Jesus into their hearts uh, suffered and perished at the hands of the Antichrist and his, the beast and his legion. And so we we would escape that tribulation, and then after that seven-year tribulation, we would come down, and it's so cloudy. I can't really explain what I thought. That was just kind of what I thought, that Jesus was going to come down, rapture his church, and bring us up to heaven while, so we could escape the disaster. And I was you know, reading Left Behind, and that was so heavily influencing to our theology, uh, rapture theology. Right. The great tribulation on earth, while everyone else was raptured, seemed kind of enticing to me. Like, I wanted to be there during the Great Tribulation. Like a vigilante I, or something? Yeah, I didn't want to be raptured because it's like my, my picture of heaven of just being up dining with Jesus and singing eternal praise songs didn't seem as appeasing to me as it would be to be here on earth when everyone else was raptured and there was kind of like disarray and chaos and, and looting. Not that I wanted to be a bad person, but I just... Just it seemed like that's where the action's happening. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I was into action movies. I was into that stuff. So that, that appealed to me. And also I knew... You know, I wasn't going to renounce my faith in Jesus. So when the time came to accept the number of the beast, I would ignore that and be like, no, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and then be a martyr. And yeah. then I'd win either way. I would, <laughs> after that, I would die and then I'd still be part of you know, his people, I guess. So that's, so that, that was my theology. You're basically the one evangelical who held to a rapture theology, but would rather be here. <laughs> yeah, it's just certainly more appealing. Everyone else is looking forward to escaping. And you're like, well, so what made you start to consider that differently was it the messianic websites and it literature was, it was certainly the, the help commentary? of the messianic websites and like we said it was eye-opening and we started to not see the rapture in the text you know if you think of something if it's already preconceived you're going to look at that scripture text mm -hmm. you know with your preconcepted thought you're going to see rapture in it you're going to see what you believe in it and when we started to take those theological glasses off or you know get rid of the theological dogma that's been passed down to us and look at it with fresh eyes with this messianic perspective we we didn't see the rapture in the text we certainly saw the the ingathering jesus coming back for his people but we didn't necessarily see him coming back and taking them up to heaven while everyone else perished here on earth for seven years yeah they came to that conclusion before i did and then one day i was like wait like the rapture's not true and they were like no read this and it'll help you make sense and i was like oh like oh wow that that does make a lot more sense and i don't know it just everything just fell into place a lot better than it had before this isn't based off of a a fiction novel you know <laughs> it's like it actually makes sense this is, this is realistic i can you know so can you summarize in your own words what you believe now about the rapture i believe you know, the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back with the last trumpet coming in the clouds, he's going to carry his people to Zion and proclaim his words through there. You know, essentially, it's a simple explanation. Anyways, I believe he's not going to carry us to heaven. He's going to carry us to Jerusalem, uh, whether he's going to carry us on his hands, whether we're going to take an airplane or a boat. I think we're, we're going to get there. And uh, that's going to be the initiating of the kingdom, the kingdom age. That we're not going to go to heaven, I guess. Right, right. So, the getting caught up that we read in First Thessalonians four, mm -hmm. then you would identify as more of a rendezvous where yeah. we're meeting Jesus in the air right. to escort him to his destination. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
so that he could inaugurate the kingdom mm-hmm. absolutely on earth yeah yeah, that's what I think too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know we watched your we watched one of your lectures on YouTube because those are the kind of weird people that we are. We like to watch lectures, uh-huh. and your you had one is the kingdom too Jewish. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And uh, that really you know that helped me dive into church fathers even more to explore their theology and what they they thought of regarding the coming second coming of Christ. Some good, some bad. Yeah, a, a, a lot of bad, sadly. Yeah. yeah, we side we side with what we think is good. I guess. Yeah, yeah. What about your belief? What about your Christology? What about the Trinity? This is something that was probably a very deeply held belief of yours prior yeah. to considering some of this more Hebrew mindset. Mm-hmm. And of course, Jewish people, then as now, do not believe in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. They hold to a strict monotheism where the Father, or maybe they would say Adonai, is the only true God and has no equals. So, what got you thinking about this? Him and my dad discovered it first and then i came across a conversation they were having and then that it took me a little while a few months at least to really digest the whole thought process (laughs) i don't know it just took me a little bit like i went through a phase of a few months of being like okay well if the trinity isn't true then what the heck is the point of jesus what what role does he play do i even need to care about it anymore like it was kind of a, a difficult I really had to question them and understand, ask a million questions of how does this work? What purpose does it, all of the components, like what is the Holy Spirit? What, how does this all come into play? Make it make sense. And then it finally did make sense. And now I understand it better. And I feel like it, like Jesus's role is even more important to me now than it was before. Cause I feel how like- do you, How do you, you see know, his role now? I see his role as, certainly divine but not god that he was there before creation and whatever form that might have been i don't know but that he was sent by god as the messenger the messiah he had to die for us otherwise we would have yeah like he had to save us his blood had to redeem us basically as our as our redeemer i guess would be the word that you know he replaced that and that he couldn't do that if he was god it took me a little while to figure that out that because now to me, I'm like, okay, Jesus, he couldn't have done that if he was God because it wouldn't even make sense. I can't think of the specific verse verses off the top of my head, but yeah, well, it would be like know. a married bachelor. Yeah. It's just cube. like mean, God. Yeah. God's immortal. Yeah. First Timothy 117, first Timothy 616. So yep. if he's immortal, that means he can't die. Right. And I mean, that's part of his nature. Mm-hmm. It's an essential attribute, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think he would die, mm-hmm. but I think he would die if he could die right. for us, right. but he can't, right. so he pursued the most costly course of action he could, which mm-hmm. is he gave his only begotten son, mm-hmm. which in some sense, I think, is even more valuable than mm-hmm. giving your own life. I mean, yeah. I would much rather give my own life than one of my children. Yeah, it's like it wouldn't it'd be silly if God was like, well, I'm immortal, I can do whatever I want to do. So I'm gonna come and kill myself and then raise myself. It just—it just seemed very silly. It just like a, a comedy sketch. <laughs> yeah, it was know. like it just—it—it it had so much more depth to think that God sent Jesus as His Son and that Jesus willingly sacrificed. Like He was—he mm-hmm. was a man that He willingly chose to live a perfect life to sacrifice himself in obedience to God rather than just being like, oh, this is God just doing whatever God wants to do. Like it, it had more depth and meaning to me afterwards once mm-hmm. I figured it out, <laughs> I guess. What about you, Brian? 
Rochelle here just uh, mentioned that you were in conversation with her father about the subject. So w what got you thinking about the subject and what was your thought process? Well, how can God be tempted? That's, I mean, that's a question I like to ask. And uh, so obviously we explained we, we were getting into a messianic perspective, messianic Jewish perspective, and that also encompasses studying Jewish literature as well. But isn't it true, though, that most Messianic Jews believe in the Trinity? I would disagree with that. I would say it's half and half. Half I, and half. I know okay. a lot of the Messianic commentary that we use. Uh, I would say, you know, they certainly do not support the Trinity. Some do, some don't. It's certainly half and half. It's always been so confusing to me because it's like if you're going to be a Messianic Jew, why would you want to take on this very Gentile mm -hmm. theological construct mm -hmm. using all this fancy high flute mm -hmm. philosophy that... It never touches the ground where the Hebrew Bible is, mm -hmm. um, or or the New Testament for that matter. But uh, go on. What what else were you? Okay, well, I was talking about studying uh, Jewish oh, literature. Right, yeah. So the Messiah is obviously a thoroughly Jewish concept. It's not a right. concept in other any other nation, any other religion. It comes from the people of Israel. The the Messiah is a promise of God's people, the people of Israel. So they, you know, obviously know a lot about what Messiah is supposed to be, his roles, what he's supposed to do. You know, they, they have their texts, they have the prophecies of Messiah. So my father-in-law and I were studying, you know, the principles, the requirements of Messiah. And, you know, he has to be a son of David. He has to establish the kingdom, amongst other things. I don't know the list off the top of my head, but those, those are requirements. What isn't a requirement of Messiah is to be God. He doesn't have to be God to be Messiah. And I think that's what Christianity is just kind of thinks of now is he has to be God. Messiah has right. to be God. And you can't separate that. You can't separate Messiah with God. And if you do, then it's heresy. So anyways, as we were studying Jewish literature, we just, we kind of realized Messiah doesn't have to be God to fulfill his messianic role. Mm -hmm. And that kind of allowed us to explore. Give you enough space to think about it a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Which is exactly what I was talking about with the raptures. You're so obviously, we're not thinking about the Trinity when we look at those texts anymore. That's not a preconceived thought when we started to see it in the text. You know, you read, you know, Jesus, the Son of God. Paul, Paul writes, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus, Son of God, the Father. Paul separates a lot. He separates that Jesus, our Lord, and God, however he phrases it. But I always used to just read that as... I never thought about it, and now I see that there's a clear distinction between Jesus and God that you that we didn't notice before. Yeah, but but it is there. Yeah, whether it you, is. Whether you notice it yeah. or not, you know, <laughs> uh, grace and peace from God our Father. Yeah, and, and our Lord and Savior. From yeah, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah. So Paul's always identifying God as the Father and as someone other than Jesus, and mm -hmm. that's something that got your attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and certainly. The dwelling presence of God is within Jesus, I believe. I, I certainly hold a high Christology. And one of the examples that I, I read about and learned about was the temple, the tabernacle, has the dwelling presence of God. God sits on the throne. He dwells in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, in the tabernacle. But does that make the temple God? Because God dwells within the temple. No. <laughs> exactly. So God's spirit certainly dwells within Jesus. But does that make Jesus God? No. So that, that was kind of something to help me kind of work through this. And there's all kinds of pictures of that and ways to understand that, I guess. That's probably confusing, but that's something that I like to I think of. No, it's not confusing at all. It makes perfect sense. I wonder how, how would you answer the question, how can he save us from our sins if he's not God? 
if the wages of sin are death, is death. Somebody has to die. Like, blood has to be shed. And that was the mission that he was given by God. He had, That was his job. And he chose to do that as a man. He chose to die. He could have said no. Right. But he chose to do it anyway and sacrifice himself. And God accepted that as covering the penalty for all of us. So he's our redeemer that we can now through him we can be saved because he's our he's the blood that was shed for us i think that's how it makes sense to me anyway so you're able to overcome that uh, objection in your own heart yeah you were thinking about before uh what about you brian do you want to add anything to that or uh, that's a deep question (laughs) i can say i don't have it fully figured out there's a saying i like to use you've probably heard it before it's probably an apostolic belief that the first redeemer moses uh, is like the last redeemer Jesus or the last redeemer will be like the first redeemer and Moses was God's sent one in Hebrew that's Shaliach and I believe Jesus is also God's sent one Rochelle brought up mission so yeah Moses had a mission to redeem the people from Israel to bring them into the promised land Jesus has that same mission to redeem the people from the world bring us into the kingdom very good and mm-hmm. does Mo- was Moses God no but it <laughs> says in the Hebrew you will be as Elohim to Pharaoh so you will be as God to Pharaoh we can still worship Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as our King, not as God, but he has a different level of worship from us because of that position that he has. Go ahead. Well, I'd say you could probably interview us again in a year or two, and we might have better answers. <laughs> we, we might have more uh, figured out answers yeah, by then. Well, I, I'm just poking around a little bit here just to uh, see how you answer things. and uh, Yeah. It's fun. How, how did this new discovery about who Jesus is and isn't affect your relationships with other Christians? We're heretics. <laughs> Go on. We've been, we've been kicked out of a church, not, not for our belief in Messiah not being God, but I'm sure if we had said that, that would have certainly added to the list of being kicked out. We, we just got kicked out because we're pro-Israel. At that particular church, yeah. They, they, they chose to interpret our desire to, to read... Jewish literature and to possibly even as we can practically we we like to do the Sabbath to a certain extent we certainly don't practice a halakhic Sabbath but we have a family dinner on Friday nights we say some blessings you know we we feel like as Gentiles we are called to honor the Sabbath not necessarily fully observe the Sabbath but just different things like that that are Jewish in this particular church was very reformed anti-Jewish and they took that as you're looking towards Jewish tradition to be saved and that you think that there's other ways of salvation, like through works or whatever, besides Jesus, which wasn't accurate, but that's how they chose to interpret where we were coming from. And they gave us a choice to either pretty much revoke that or leave. So we chose to leave. <laughs> so. Wow. It's really fascinating. You, you were looking at the Hebrew Bible, looking at these different festivals that God instituted mm-hmm. and practices. And you were saying, well, as a Gentile, what are some ways that I can take from this and incorporate mm-hmm. this in my own life? And you, yeah. and you two have young children as well, and that, I'm sure that's part of the picture. Mm-hmm. So they were totally intolerant of that. Completely. Completely intolerant of it. <laughs> were you going up to the pulpit and no. shouting that everyone it was based have- on no. It was based on private email conversations with the pastor as well as our own personal Facebook pages, articles that we would post in favor of the stuff that we believed, and they saw that and they didn't agree with it. Wow. So they, they expect total uniformity. <laughs> Completely, yeah. Thinking. Yeah. yeah. 
kind of like the uh, the uh, Catholic Inquisition there. It, it felt like it. It really did. Trying to find anybody <laughs> practicing any kind of Judaism. And yeah. Then, uh, yep. Calling them on the carpet. So, how else has changing your beliefs affected relationships? We have a little bit of a strained relationship spiritually with my older brother, who is the assistant pastor at the church that we used to go to. He is very skeptical about where we're coming from. He thinks it's interesting to a point, but that for the most part, we might just be a little bit crazy. It's hard to talk to them about it. It's caused some issues just uncomfortableness when we have family get-togethers when the subject comes up and it usually leads to a debate and it can get awkward at times not always but it certainly is frustrating to feel like your own family members are somewhat against you (laughs) so your your brother comes from a more of a traditional evangelical yeah the same background that we had before yeah so when you go to explain him about the kingdom or about the jewishness of jesus or his messianic identity yeah as opposed to the trinitarian identity yep does he just shut down or is he just saying, oh, like, that's just Rochelle. She's my little sister. And- no, a little bit. I mean, they're okay with the Jewishness of Jesus. They're okay with understanding context. And that's about as far as it goes. They're not willing to consider that the rapture might not be true. Not even consider it. Not even, not yet. It's a very fundamental part of their belief system and they don't want to hear it. I don't know if the Trinity has come up. I want to say it has, but probably between him and my dad, I don't, I haven't talked to him about it. It's just, it's gotten to a point where we just tend to avoid certain stuff. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Now. Yeah, it's, and it's tough. And, and then what about your brother, Brian? Because I know your brother well, Jim, who has come to Living Hope uh, for a long time. And I didn't even know you existed until a year or two ago. When so I, When I started Facebook stalking you? <laughs> no, actually, I, I remember it well. Your brother came up to me, and he's just like, I have this brother, and he, he's been a really strong evangelical, but thought that anybody who diverged from the standard traditional views is just crazy. And now he's suddenly changing his mind. So I, I remember Jim talking to me about that. How, how has changing your beliefs on this affected your relationship with him? It's actually been a blessing we've uh increased in our brotherly love so that's a good thing and it's as i mentioned i went to family camp that's when i first once again air quotations got saved and then i got back home and went to this church started developing my relationship reading my bible and obviously learning that theology and i was told by my family by certain people what my brother believed you know he didn't believe in the rapture he didn't believe in the trinity he's part of a cult so i kind of put you guys over here on the cult section of my theological shelf oh, man <laughs> and uh, i apologize for that now um so and i that's what i said to jim i apologize so this is where i had you i had you guys in the cult section of my shelf and now i'm willing to take you off that section well actually you went onto that section yourself yeah, <laughs> yeah well I, yeah i guess exactly. so exactly <laughs> yeah we're, we're with you now <laughs> um but it certainly blessed the relationship i have with my brother i think he's excited it's probably answered prayer on his behalf so that's also a blessing and i mean even if you don't come to these unitarian views as as long as we hold that jesus is the messiah he died for our sins he's the son of god he's gonna establish the kingdom you know you hold these messianic principles you're not going to go to hell whether you're trinitarian or unitarian i don't think or suffer eternal damnation but you know that's probably what you believe but it's still a blessing i guess to come closer to what what can be truth 
I, I think what, everything wait, is subjective let's too. Let's back so. that up. <laughs> what, yeah. what do I believe again? It is. <laughs> are you are you are you saying that you think I believe in eternal conscious torment? I don't even want to get into that because I, I don't think you, I, I, I don't know. It, I, it sounded like you were implying that if you believe in the Trinity, that you're going to hell. That's what I understood from what and i don't think that's what you meant but that's what it sounded like yeah i'm not implying i probably did imply that with my words but that's not what i meant i'm sorry <laughs> so just to be clear I, i'm an uh, annihilationist so i don't know if you are familiar with that or not no it's the idea that at the final judgment which in the scriptures is called gehenna the fire consumes what is put into it as opposed to keeping it alive forever mm-hmm. so i don't know if you're You've done think, any research think, on that or not? Didn't but we talk about that recently? I have, yeah. I it's I, worth looking into. There's a good website, RethinkingHell.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have some good debates on there, too, where both sides are represented. I, I think we had talked about that recently, about that idea of, you know, would a just God really send someone for eternal torment, or would they just be eliminated at that point? Like, yeah. to me, that makes more sense. I'm yeah. more towards that thinking, although I'm not fully done thinking through yeah. it yet. I mean, there, there are a couple of verses, especially in Revelation, that imply eternal conscious torment, mm-hmm. but there are hundreds mm-hmm. that say that people are perish mm-hmm. or be destroyed or be cut off. You know, like, for example, um, John 3.16, mm-hmm. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life so Mm -hmm. the two options there are perish or eternal life as Mm -hmm. opposed to eternal life or eternal life yeah exactly (laughs) eternal life in a good place eternal life in a bad place but that's not really uh the subject of our conversation now so i I just want to throw that out there yeah so how would you describe your posture towards truth now that you've changed so many of your beliefs and your way of thinking about things I've been saying for at least a year. I don't know. I don't know if this is scripture or if this is just a saying. I can't remember, but if you know the truth, the truth will will set you free. Yeah, that's Jesus, Johnny. Yeah, okay. I couldn't remember if it was or not, and that's how I feel. I think before I felt like we had to keep ourselves in a closed-off box so that we wouldn't question what we believed, so that we wouldn't be tempted to doubt what we believed. We wouldn't get straight off the path. But I feel now I feel like I'm so confident that this is the fundamental truth of what the Bible says, that I'm way more open-minded than I was before. I'm totally willing to listen to any perspective, weigh it, think about it, consider it, but still feel grounded in what I know, but be willing to adjust it if necessary. I don't feel threatened by that at all. And I did before and now I don't. So I feel I'm totally okay with people, other believers that have different opinions because it's not threatening to me. Yeah, and I feel like you're able to disagree with people yeah. without having that be the end of the world. Exactly. And that's really a helpful mindset to have because none of us is perfect. None of us is flawless. None of us is uncorrectable. I don't know if that's a word or not, but um, <laughs> n- none it of is us. now. <laughs> none of us is. Infallible? Yes, thank you. None of us <laughs> is infallible. And so. I think it's really helpful to say, to be Bereans, like mm-hmm. the Absolutely. Apostle Paul describes mm-hmm. in Acts seventeen eleven, how they were so noble-minded because they didn't reject what mm-hmm. he had to say about Jesus being the Messiah, which mm-hmm. I'm sure sounded rather outlandish to a bunch of Jews in Berea. Mm-hmm. And they did not accept it either, but they checked it against the scriptures to see if it mm-hmm. was true mm-hmm. and then made their decision on the basis of that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That does take hard work. Mm-hmm. 
and I've seen uh, some of Brian's books, and I know that he is into hard work. <laughs> not not, bo- not books that up. I write, because I just wanted to clarify, when you said you've seen some of my books, sure. that implies that maybe I wrote books. I don't yeah, write books. You've been uh, on, a, on, on the fast lane for acquiring yourself a decent theological library. So what's the motive behind that? Truth-seeking, mm. certainly. I just want to learn. How do you find the time for this truth-seeking with a full-time job and two little kids and a wife and... I set apart sleep when I can. (laughs) We both have areas that we're sacrificing sleep to pursue (laughs) various things. Yeah. But no, you mentioned Bereans, and that's that's what I want to be. I don't want to be the type of Christian to just drink the Kool Aid. Truth is not a flavor that Kool Aid offers. Right. It is. That's what we did. We just we were under the under the impression, under the understanding. I'm not a pastor. My wife's not a pastor. We've been given people to shepherd us. We were the flock. We were just supposed to drink the Kool-Aid, just whatever they said, it was anointed by God for us. That's right. the Holy Spirit. There's an Spirit. authority claim there where you're not allowed to question it. Yeah, right? and so we don't, we don't question it. Like, well, God gave him this word. We're just going to accept it because who are we? God's not given us the word. You know, there's a place for that. It's kind of, I, I don't necessarily think I can say that for sure, but there, there is a place for that. But yeah, like in the prophets, thus says the Lord, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, but people need to be Bereans. You can't just, someone can't say, Jesus is a hermaphrodite and be like, oh yeah, well you have a degree and I, sounds good to me. No, you, someone says Jesus is a hermaphrodite, you're gonna, it's probably a horrible example to use, but you're gonna explore that, you're gonna look at books, see who else says that, you know, just do any other scholars think that? And that yeah, and what do the primary sources say, you know, from the Gospels, it seems pretty unanimous that Jesus is a man. So you're saying that now that you've been through this experience, you're more open-minded, I think Rochelle made that point mm-hmm. very well, and you're willing to do the work that it takes to weigh different beliefs Mm -hmm. against the scriptures to see what's true and what's not true. Mm -hmm. Yes. And for whatever reason, it's so hard to convince many folks to have that mindset unless Mm -hmm. they've been through some sort of, I don't know if trauma is the right word, but some Mm -hmm. sort of difficult experience like you went through where now that you've been through this and, and you've had the relational pain of being given the left foot of fellowship by yeah. this church and you know the tension in your own family and mm-hmm. everything else so that you've been through this and now and now you are Bereans whereas most folks on a Sunday they just sit there mm-hmm. whatever the pastor shares they just like okay that's that must be true mm-hmm. well look the pastor gets it wrong sometimes and in the end when you're standing before the judge on the last day it's not like the pastor is going to be standing next to you mm-hmm. answering everything that you believe that's wrong. Right. Yeah. And there are a good many things that you can believe incorrectly, and it doesn't really affect your salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, there, but there are some that are very important mm-hmm. that will affect some your salvation, others your way of life. Mm-hmm. For example, I use myself. I grew up believing once saved, always saved. And I was very firm in eternal security, and I believe that if I prayed a prayer once, Romans ten nine that confess Jesus as Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, there's no obligation to live a certain way. You could go and murder people and you would still be saved mm-hmm. just because you prayed that prayer once. In fact, you could just pray that prayer once and then never live in a Christian manner or think another Christian thought mm-hmm. the rest of your life and you'd be fine. So it lacks repentance. Yeah. Well, what, what happened in that case is I internalized that, especially as a teenager, and concluded, well, 
as far as salvation is concerned, that box is checked. Mm-hmm. So I might as well just do whatever feels good mm-hmm. and yep. do whatever comes naturally because there's no consequence. Even mm-hmm. if I die, I'm still fine. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was a very devastating doctrine that really affected my lifestyle. And our community, the Living Hope community, went through a really traumatic theological shift over time we used to believe in going to heaven and the rapture and all this other stuff that you were talking about before. And when we went through that shift, our pastors and ministers started saying from the pulpit, they started saying, don't believe it because I say it. How many preachers say that on an average Sunday? They're saying to us, check it out for yourself. Don't just believe what I say. You go to the scriptures. You prove it for yourself. You make up your own mind on it. And I feel like that is such a rare but important mindset to have. And I don't know if you can just get that or if you just have to go through some sort of difficult time and then you have that mindset. Do you, either of you have any concluding thoughts as far as this journey that you've been on and where, you, where you're going from here? It's been equally exciting and difficult. It's probably been the most eye-opening and depressing couple years of our lives so far spiritually. And that's, that's been tough. It's tough to feel like you have to be quiet all the time or people are going to think that you're a heretic. And we've been through a lot of relationship trauma in the last couple of years. And we've kind of developed an unfortunate cynicism towards church that we're trying to not have. But it's difficult because we haven't had very many good experiences so far. So, yeah, I would say it's a hard road for anybody that makes this theological shift. It can be really difficult if you're not part of a community that agrees with you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Do you regret it? I don't regret it at all. But we can't it's definitely go back. no, like <laughs> yeah, there's, you can't go there's back no way. The yeah, <laughs> I cannot I can't unthink what I think. It's impossible. Yeah. But it's definitely tough. I mean you look at Jesus in his life and he was constantly beset by yeah. people criticizing him, disagreeing with him, mm-hmm. and conflict of all different kinds. So mm-hmm. You're in good company with Jesus, um, <laughs> yeah. and he said Wh- whoever wants to follow him is, is, going, to, is going to face trials mm-hmm. and tribulations, yep. so this might be some of that. Yeah, we've, we've actually made that point that we've never really faced persecution before until now, and now we, we feel like we're more spiritually grounded than ever, but we're facing more persecution than ever before from within the church itself, and it's been interesting, to say the least. <laughs> Any concluding thoughts, Brian? This has been an exciting journey. Obviously, we haven't arrived. We're not complete in our theological thinking. We don't have all the answers, but we're continuing to seek truth. And I think for me, for her, for our family, I imagine for you too, just when you're seeking truth, it's exciting. It's, these new revelations are exciting. It's that same excitement, that same zeal that you have when you first become a new believer. You, know, you first realize Jesus is Savior. He died for, for your sins. You know, he redeemed you. You just... You, you, you have that zeal, or I think most of us do, where you want to, like, this is awesome. Jesus died for you. Like, all you know is Jesus died for you. And you right. want to share, you want to just go to everyone on the street, like, hey, Jesus died for me. Jesus, God loves you. Jesus died for you. You have that new believer zeal. I think we have that same zeal. And not that we shouldn't want to tell people that, but we have that same zeal with, like, 
we're questioning the rapture and this option seems really good. Like we're approaching it with that same zeal and just right. sharing that yeah. with people. And it's kind Jesus of like the same is approach. Jewish. Isn't that cool? It's, like, yeah, that same, you know? yeah, <laughs> same response you get from people on the street when you're like, Hey, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. And they're like, get away from me. You freak. It's the same <laughs> yeah. thing. It's like, Hey, yeah. have you ever questioned the rapture or the Trinity? And they're like, get away from me. You heretic. So right, right. But, but that's the zeal that we have, I guess. So it's been an exciting journey. We haven't arrived and we uh, look forward to, to growing and knowledge and truth and grace and praying every day that the kingdom is hastened and we can celebrate there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for taking some time today. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this interview. I just wanted to read out some feedback from previous episodes. But before I do that, I want to give a shout out to Tall Michigan Mike, who wrote a review on iTunes. Thanks so much, Mike. He titled it Great Podcast and said, Thank God for such a good podcast. Reverend Sean is preaching the Word of God with the heart of a teacher. I like the guests and can relate to the subjects. Thanks so much, Mike. I certainly appreciate you taking the time to navigate iTunes and put this review in there. It really does help other people find this podcast so that they can love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Also, I have quite a bit of feedback I want to read out from previous episodes including Miranda's comment on Offscript episode 12 about forgiveness. Miranda writes, Not to forgive someone does not necessarily mean that we bear them a grudge. We are all responsible for our actions and must suffer the consequences. If someone sins, causes harm to another, then as Christians we would want to help them to realize the responsibility they have to apologize and try to put things right. And that goes for us too, of course, if we are in the wrong. What if the person who has wronged us, or others, is now dead? Because they are now dead does not mean that we condone their past actions, but we can leave them in God's hands, who understands them much better than we can. And he will be their judge, not us. And if we knew the person well, perhaps a family member, then we can remind ourselves of their good qualities and take comfort from that. Sometimes, even when we do forgive people, in some instances, it may take time to rebuild trust, and a good point was made in the discussion about taking steps to protect ourselves and others. I think the Amish was a good example. The fact that they were not concerned about what outsiders thought, which shows that they were genuine and not self-righteous. Sometimes, as Christians, we can be deeply affected by the actions of others, and I think we have to learn to be sad without being angry. And then she quotes Psalm 37, 8. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Also on that same post, Paul Peterson writes, Thanks for the helpful discussion. It obviously wasn't long enough, though, because I am still puzzled by a couple of things. I'll only mention one. Jesus' prayer. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. There are so many intriguing paths one could explore. For instance, Jesus almost certainly forgave those who were crucifying him. We know for sure that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 1 Peter 2.23 And yet the Gospels don't record Jesus as simply turning to his enemies and saying, I forgive you. Instead, Jesus asks his Father to forgive them. Interesting. Jesus' forgiveness of his enemies is, at the very least, an insight into the breathtaking humility and love of Jesus. It is also an example for us to follow. It got me thinking, though, are we given any indication as to whether or not God actually granted this particular request of Jesus to forgive his unrepentant enemies? 
If so, would that be a first, God forgiving someone who hasn't yet repented? God can do whatever he wants, of course, but the general pattern in Scripture seems to be repentance before forgiveness, if not in our human-to-human relationships, then at least God-to-human relationship. By the way, give me a heads up if you're getting ready to unload a $5 laptop. I may have a buyer. Very funny. Paul, uh, I think you make an interesting point here about forgiveness and how God pursues forgiveness versus how we do it as regular people. It does seem that he sets up the system so that repentance is required for him to express forgiveness, but I think that's precisely why we are free to let it go. We are free to forgive others even without repentance, even if the person meant it and would do it again. We're still able to forgive, and as we discussed in the episode, and if you haven't listened to this episode, please go back and listen to it, because this is a really important topic. Jesus says that we have to forgive others or else our Father won't forgive us. And so this is not a minor issue. This is not sort of like, do you want to be a super Christian and do every last little thing? No, this is this is properly basic to Christian living, and it's the one thing Jesus brings up after he teaches the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Look, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. So we need to take this very seriously, and I wouldn't play with it. I, I, I quoted in the episode, unforgiveness is the poison that you drink thinking it's going to kill someone else. Look, if you want to protect yourself, if you want to avoid that reconciliation or getting into that relationship, that's completely understandable. But to harbor bitterness, to retain the debt day after week, after month, after year, after decade, look, it's going to eat you alive. Let it go. Let it go. It doesn't mean that what they did was right. Obviously, if you're forgiving them, they were wrong. So let it go. And I think when you do this, you'll you'll find freedom and probably increased health, <laughs> depending on how long you were holding on to this. And in the end, God will handle it. He will see justice met. So thanks so much for your feedback, Paul and Miranda. If you want to push me back on that, feel free to drop a comment on episode 12 of Offscript for forgiveness. Otherwise, thanks for taking the time to write that. In addition, on episode three of our interviews, a letter to a Trinitarian with Hugh Knowlton, Rose not Rose Ryder, different Rose, writes, Wow, God's timing is perfect. I just started a Bible study on the book of John. Just this morning, I had my concordance out looking up the Greek word for word. I'm still digging into this verse. Thank you, Hugh, for sharing. And so that was an episode where Hugh Knowlton shared about his response to four main arguments for the Trinity and how he responded to them biblically. And a lot of that also pertained to the tone that Hugh used to respond to his interlocutor. Also, I recently released a YouTube video called Is the Trinity Biblical? And this seemed to generate some interest as well. Randy Turner writes, excellent teaching. Miranda says, yes, agree, excellent teaching that does not leave us scratching our heads. 
The best way to help people with the Trinity doctrine is by using the Bible and comparing scriptures. Once we start getting technical, that's when we lose people. In my opinion, the Trinity doctrine is confusing enough, and the best way to help people in our preaching work is to keep our explanations scriptural and simple. Brilliant reasoning using Peter and Satan, as you say, the points you brought out were ridiculous, and of course people would readily see that, getting people to think for themselves. Brian writes, Well done, Sean. Good stuff. Keep it up. I like the open fist, closed fist concept. If someone comes at you with their understanding of Echad being a compound unity or Elohim, meaning three in one, kindly direct them to me. So, listener, if somebody's bringing up to you the argument that Echad, the Hebrew word for one, means compound unity, please check out Brian Allen and uh, you leave a comment on this episode, which is where I interviewed Brian and he will surely see it. And last but not least, Teodora commented on interview number four, which was about healing with Bill and Ann Danino. And she writes, interesting interview. I heard of Theophostic Prayer some years ago. They are now called Transformational Prayer Ministry. Thanks to all of you for taking the time to put down your thoughts, to engage, to help fill out the picture a little bit more online, because people do go back and check out the old episodes, and having your comments there definitely adds to the experience and to helping people out. So keep the comments coming. If you would like to check us out online, the website is restitutio.org. That's restitution with no N, dot O-R-G. And you can leave a comment. Also, please, if it's not too much trouble, stop over at iTunes and give us a review. So far, we have 13 ratings. The more we get, the more exposure we get, the more or the higher we show up in search engines. So I would definitely appreciate that. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.